the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. And it is a President's Weekend. I hope people have a, a find a way to celebrate. I'm, I'm a bit partial myself to celebrating the birthdays of key presidents. In particular, by the way, George Washington's birthday. In fact, at the end of the program today, if you listen all the way through, uh, you will hear my final segment will be about a in praise of George Washington. Uh, and but we'll we'll celebrate uh, Lincoln too. In a few moments, we'll talk with John Cribb, the author of Old Abe, a book I like very very much, a historical novel. John Cribb is an author, a lawyer, a good all around good guy. And the book is published by Republic Book Publishers, a really great outfit. Al Regnery, Eric Campman. They do a great job. So um, you'll want to. So we'll talk about um, Lincoln and uh, but I'll get back to Washington. And don't forget the program here. If you're listening uh, live, if you're listening on the radio, we got four parts coming up. Uh, The beginning of the program is what you need to know, kind of a pullback and a look at, especially at the end of the week here. When you you look at the week in review, it's kind of what the big picture. What is what's the big picture? What do you need to know? Uh, That's the Daily Wink. And then two segments of interviews Uh, today. It'll be John Cribb, the author of Old Abe and also Adam Angievsky the founder and CEO of Open the Books, OpenTheBooks.com. I was going to talk to him about his 2021 annual report and how much good work they did, but we got a bigger story to talk about. I'm going to get to it in a minute because it's going to dominate what you need to know. And then the final segment, as I mentioned, is kind of a wrap-up, and today it'll be about George Washington. All right, so don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. If you go there, you can listen to all these segments. Again, you can go and search them by author name, and you can especially sign up for the daily email. It's called The Daily Wink, What You Need to Know, W-Y-N-K, What You Need to Know, The Daily Wink, and it comes in your inbox at 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific, almost uh, 60,000 people, uh, just under 60,000 email addresses are in that system. Get that Daily Wink, so go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up. So today's... What you need to know has to do with our friend Adam Andrzejewski, we're going to talk to in a few moments. And the story is this. His nonprofit, 501c3 nonprofit, which has tirelessly and fearlessly investigated by FOIA requests and open records requests and otherwise asking uh, people in public life to come clean with the spending. It's about transparency. It's about showing not and and he is as likely to ding Republicans as he is Democrats. I happen to know years ago, I think he ran for governor, maybe as a Republican in Illinois. He didn't win, obviously. Uh, So I think he might be a Republican, but he's mostly uh, a policy guy. He's got all these people that work with him that go out and train local communities. And his idea is that government works better when it's more transparent. And for eight years now, he has written a column at Forbes.com. I don't know if it runs in Forbes magazine. I don't even know if there is a paper magazine anymore of Forbes. But for eight years, he's been writing a regular column. I, I don't know. It's certainly not weekly, but it's at least monthly and it's periodic and regular enough. There's a whole archive of it. And in the archive, in his column, 
at Forbes.com, Adam Anjevsky has written about what they found in terms of transparency. And it'll be, you know, a ridiculous amount of money uh, that goes, pays to uh, the endowments of universities. It'll be spending in California for X or Y uh, uh, area. It's just, it's transparency. It's not, again, it's not partisan. It's never partisan. Again, he dings Republicans as well as Democrats. Well, Forbes.com, under pressure from the federal government, and they, they dropped his column after eight years. And the reason why is because he was writing about the highest paid member, the highest paid employee of the federal government. It's not the president of the United States. It's not the Supreme Court chief justice. It's Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci. And he wrote a column, three columns, actually, about this issue, about what they had found, openthebooks.com, by, by sunshining what was, what was uh, you know, FOIA requesting the documents. And so he was writing about stories. Now, again, whether you agree with the stories or not, the the, the stories, the columns he was writing was about facts that they'd gleaned from their open records requests. And that is the fact that Dr. Fauci made more money than anybody else. It is a fact that when that news broke and Adam Angievsky and OpenTheBooks.com is the one that broke it, it became embarrassing and there was a big reaction. Well, one of the things that happened was the, the organizations, the entities through which with which Fauci works. I'm not sure it was his organization or if it was broadly the NIH, one of the groups. They, they wrote an email and we're going to get more of these details. We'll talk to Adam, but I think he's going to write this up. They wrote an email. And they said to Forbes, you, you know, you shouldn't do that. Uh, that's not exactly accurate. We quibble with something or other. I don't think they actually had a, a, a fact uh, dispute, but they complained. And they complained sufficient that they shut him down. Now, my point here is, is, to, is to underscore not to cancel culture. That's not what I want to talk about now. I, I kind of think the cancel culture is recognizable. I'm talking about the sophisticated way that the society is able to limit speech and to create a dynamic where it's easier to self-censor. It's more profitable to self-censor, but it's also easier. It's less burdensome to self-censor than it is to stand up and speak for the truth. So Forbes.com decides they're going to back off and, and get rid of Adam Anjevsky when for eight years there's not any major objection. In fact, the objections probably were people complaining about being caught. And what the message becomes, not that government's censored, it's that society around it, the people and entities with power, join in the pressure to make people want to self-censor. So I don't know if Adam Anjevsky was paid to do the Forbes column. I, I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, the way the model is right now for business, for uh, media online, I bet he, he was getting as much uh, publicity for his his firm, uh, I mean, his, his organization, uh, OpenTheBooks.com, as anything. But certainly it was a platform for him. And so what they did is they cut that off. And again, the lesson, and I'll talk to him about this, the lesson for people when they see what happens, the cost of speaking out on the center right and the right wing of the conservative side, the cost is high on the left and the center left. The cost is marginal. So on the left, people feel free to speak because they don't they don't think that they'll pay a price. They don't have to worry the same way. What you need to know and pulling back and looking at America right now is the crisis is no longer of self-censorship. 
the crisis is becoming one of, of inaction because people will not want to even do anything that will get them scrutiny. So go stand with the truckers in Canada, not in America, you know, uh, give money through uh, a GoFundMe or one of the others and, and then have it be hacked and have people leak it and have the journalists call and come and ask you, did you really mean to give money? I think not. We are putting, but what you need to know is we're being put in a position, we're being herded into a mentality that says inaction is the safest way to be. And that ought to worry all of us. It's really not the American way, and that's what you need to know. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with John Cribbs celebrating Abe Lincoln. And also later, I'll talk about George Washington, my personal favorite. And then we'll talk with Adam Anchevsky also. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I couldn't think of a better guy to speak to us as we uh, uh, head towards the uh, celebration of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. A lot of people are talking about it. Of course, a lot of kids are talking about this weekend as if the weekend somehow he was born on a whole weekend. But John Cribb is the author, is an author, best-selling author. He wrote a number of books back uh, a few years ago. The Americans Patriot, American Patriots Almanac is one of them. Uh, he helped write the Book of Virtues with Bill Bennett, pretty famous. But he is my most famous in my life because he wrote a book called old Abe, which uh, came out about two and a half years ago, I guess not a little less than that, probably a year and a half ago. Uh, and it's about Abe Lincoln from the time of his nomination to be president. At, and he's living in Springfield to his death. And it's an extraordinarily um, fun book to read. Interesting. It's not a uh, history. It's not dry like history books. It's uh, sort of moves along the story. So uh, welcome back, John. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, let me put you on a spot in a different way. Um, Lincoln gets a lot of publicity. I mean, a lot of attention. Uh, thousands of books have been written, and I love them. I'm all for them. Uh, but wasn't Washington sort of, I don't know, I, it, it feels like we're losing Washington. He's fading a bit, and Lincoln's rising. And I, I can be a little cynical and say, John, that people like to talk about the Civil War and race a little bit more than they like to talk about the American Revolution and sort of uh, the, the founding of the Republic. What's your what do you think about this? My, what do you think about my yeah, thought? So, yeah, no, we're on the same page. And uh, Lincoln, of course, has always been very, very popular uh, since his since his death. Anyway, <laughs> right. always so popular during his lifetime. Um, there's a lot more material available uh, for oh, stories and writers to work with from from Lincoln. But having said that, I agree. I, I, you know, people seem to be obsessed with race these days. Uh, people have always been interested in the Civil War. I do worry uh, that our regard for that founding generation uh, is slipping away. It's, it's interesting. Lincoln, um, one time he uh, he gave a speech about that. Uh, and uh, he talked about how that founding generation, even in his time, he said they were all he said when they were alive, it was like a forest of mighty oaks and the, the storm of time of, of swept over that that forest. And only a few lonely trunks were standing uh, when huh. he spoke. And he also used another interesting metaphor. He said that those founders were the pillars of the Temple of Liberty. And he said they've all crumbled away now. And the uh, he said, if, if that temple is going to stand, we have to replace it with, he said, uh, a sound education so that, you know, a, a democracy, a voting democracy knows their, their, their facts, their stuff. Yeah. He said, we have to, to uh, uh, replace it with a uh, sound character, uh, morality. And then he said, a reverence for the laws. 
Um, that's that's what, the only way you could replace that original uh, that generation. Uh, but anyway, having said all that, it's a long way of saying I'm with you. I, I worry that uh, regard for Washington and the other founders is not as strong as it mm-hmm. should be. Well, and I'm looking now, I'm looking, I want to ask this part of it. I, I recently, I talked to a friend of mine about David McCulloch and David McCulloch, I would put in a similar category as you in the sense that he takes a topic uh, and writes about that history, but he also in, infuses into it sort of life and how it goes. It's, it's a sort of a, a genre. I don't know if you like that comparison or not, but I, as I told someone about this, we were talking about the Wright brothers. And on my desk right now, and I'm, I'm sorry I can't see it from where I'm sitting, um, is a book about the Wright brothers um, and uh, the Bishop Boys, I think it's called. And, yes, and, yeah. and, that, and, and I talked to someone who knew this topic and he said, look, McCulloch is really rightly famous because he writes about the, um, topics like the Wright brothers in a way that it catches the imagination of people and they just get into it, whether it was, he started with, uh, got really famous, I think for Truman, but before that he had a book on Theodore Roosevelt and he had his first book was, uh, on the Johnstown flood, I think, but, and so somehow you have to popularize the story. You can't, you know, I tried to get my sons to read a book on St. Thomas More. It's kind of one of the definitive biographies. It's just too dry. I mean, it's just, they're not going to do it. So I know you have to do what's happening in your book uh, in, in Old Abe. Um, but again, the choice of who you're talking about is going to sort of be who we're talking about. That's exactly right. Yes. And uh, number one, I'll take a comparison with David McCullough. Any day of the week. <laughs> OK, good. All right. uh, he's great. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, he has a good book out. Uh, uh, it's, it's a few years old now. It's called uh, 1776. Yep. Uh, yep. Speaking yep. of the founding where he just basically, you know, recounts the um, the events of that pivotal uh, year. Right. But that's exactly right. And, and efforts, uh, you know, like his and, and like mine with Old Abe, which is a historical novel, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's an attempt to bring history alive for people and get people interested in it. And in the case of old Abe, maybe it's you know people who don't know Lincoln as as well as introduction, or people like you who know Lincoln really well, but you know there's, you're usually reading nonfiction about him, and right. so historical fiction is a different take on him. Yeah. We're talking with John Cribb again. His book is Old Abe, a novel. Uh, it was out about a year and a half ago. I found the date, September of 2020. Uh, and it's uh, Republic Book Publishers. Our friend now Regnery and uh, Eric Kamen put that out. It's great, uh, a great uh, publisher right now of, of some good books. And I should preview, John, that uh, you've got another book on Abe Lincoln called The Rail Splitter. And that's coming out uh, later this year. Perhaps uh, I won't put too much pressure, but but tell me what that what period is that? What's that going to cover? And how'd you how'd you come to you know bookend that period is it is it all that's all the rest that's left or is it a chunk of time that you thought would be uh you'd already found some research on how'd you get to the rail splitter yeah well thanks for mentioning it uh it, and it'll it'll be out this fall uh assuming all the you know production uh schedule holds as it's, as it's supposed to um it will uh begin begins with lincoln as a teenager on the indiana frontier and it takes him right up up right up past the lincoln douglas debates uh, basically through December 1859, which is right before uh, a few months before when Old Abe starts. Uh-huh. So it's the it's it's the part of his life before the White House. In a lot of ways, it's the most interesting part of his life. Um, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but just one of the main storylines is how in the world does this this kid that's you know born in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere uh, get to the White House? And uh, that's a remarkable story, uh, the journey. And it is a historical novel like Old Abe's. You're, you're at his side the whole way. Um, and it's in a lot of ways, it's the great American story and, and how it unfolds. 
Uh, the rail splitter is the title, but that name, I know we all refer to Lincoln. How'd he get that name? Is there some, was there some, I mean, I, I know, it, you know, it's like, uh, it's like George Washington uh, chopping down the cherry tree. Right. I mean, but is it, so what's the background on the, on the title, on the name that was the nickname, the rail splitter? Yeah. Well, he, of course, uh, uh, well, I shouldn't say, of course, some people may not know he uh, in his youth, uh, he sp- split lots and lots and lots of logs, uh, thousands of logs in Indiana and Illinois to make uh, split rail fences. They would split a log in half and then they'd half it again. They'd half it again to get, get to get eight rails out of each log and uh, to, to build split rail fences. That's just one thing he had to do as a, as a you know youngster. And later on, he earned money doing it. And he's very good at it. Uh, when he was running for president um, and th- this there's a, a scene about this, uh, the opening scene of old Abe. Uh, in Illinois, the state convention at Decatur, uh, when they choose him to be the man they'd like to be president, they, they've, they've gone out and they found, and this is true, they found two of the old split rails that he had made as a young man. His, his oh, cousin, John wow. Hanks, helped them find him. And they made a campaign banner saying, Abe Lincoln, the rail candidate for president. They, they strung it between these two rails and they came carrying it, the banner in with these two rails. And uh, so the Republicans, uh, they when they ran him for president, one of the nicknames that they ran him under was uh, Abe Lincoln, the rail splitter. Uh, and he was known in his time as the rail splitter. We're talking with John Cribb. That's why I knew there'd be a story there. I knew you'd know it for me. So now uh, Lincoln's born on February 12th. Right. 1809. Nine. And then dies on April 15th, of course, that's 1865. Um, but we we mark his his uh, birthday. I guess we do we mark his birthday anymore. Is it technically President's Day? Did, did that happen? And so so is it Mark? Is his birthday marked or is it it's 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 not uh, the 12th that's marked anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, his, his his birthday is the twelfth, and and I don't know when. Some time ago, when I was a kid, I think people still kind of <laughs> yeah. remembered that. And of course, George Washington's is February twenty uh, second, right? And they rolled them into to one. You know, they used to have uh, you know Lincoln a, a holiday for Lincoln and a, and a holiday for, yeah. for Washington. Right. They rolled them into President's Day uh, some some time ago, yeah. and uh, this year it falls closer to. Um, Washington's birthday, uh, Monday will, uh, last year, I think it fell closer to Lincoln's birthday. Yeah. yeah so, well, but I think it's a day to remember not only Washington and, and Lincoln, uh, but all those, those old presidents, uh, you know, good and bad, all of them, because they're, we're all Americans and there are American presidents and they, you know, remembering and knowing their stories, uh, helps us understand the principles that underlie our American democracy and how they were established and how, uh, hard it was to protect and them over the years and expand them to larger groups of people. And, and remembering these presidents on President's Day just helps us uh, know our own history and, and know what a, an amazing country we live in and how we really should all be uh, very proud and, and grateful to live here. Uh, we're talking with John Cribb, the author of uh, Old Abe, a novel came out about a year and a half ago. Republic Book Publishers, really worth reading historical novel uh, on Lincoln's life. A really, really fun. I've done this to you before, so I don't feel bad when I put you on the spot. I sometimes feel bad when I put a, uh, a, a, a someone I'm interviewing on the spot, John, but I know you well enough to do this. Um, tell me something. Tell us something about maybe from the rail splitter, from your research that nobody knows about Lincoln. I mean, wh- is there some period where people really haven't 
haven't paid attention? Was there a period? I mean, did Lincoln go on a bender when he was in his 30s because of I don't know something that that's not a good example, but something that we don't know. <laughs> give us some give us some uh, some. I, by the way, I think one of the powerful things about your book, and I hope it holds true for um, for the rail splitter, the book. Uh, John Cribb's got a book coming out on Lincoln called The Rail Splitter later this uh, year. But when you read um, when I read the old Abe, I actually liked him. Because he was more human, you made him seem kind of, I don't know, not well, truly not perfect, right? Not particularly like, I mean, we knew he had ups and downs in his life. That's fair enough. But he just seemed human. I, I think you'd kind of made him, you'd made the saint, Saint Abe into a, a, a man you could, uh, I could relate to. So that was good. But so tell me something about him. Doesn't have to be something bad, by the way. So uh, tell us something about Abe Lincoln that uh, people might not know. Well, I'll, yeah, there's so much, uh, and and because I mean, it really, his, the earlier part of his life is really just unbelievably fascinating. But it's just one one episode that jumps to mind. This is a, a chapter in the Rail Splitter um, when he was a young man and living in Springfield, Illinois, and a, a young politician and attorney. And he was in the habit of attacking political opponents uh, by writing anonymous letters uh, uh-huh. in newspapers. Yeah. And he uh, did this more than once, and someone could be pretty nasty. And uh, he attacked one guy, a Democrat named uh, James Shields, who was the uh, state auditor. And Shields found out who wrote these letters and got furious and challenged Lincoln to a duel. And Lincoln really? got sucked into this. And wow. Lincoln got to choose the weapons. So he chose broadswords. And it was illegal to duel in Illinois, but it was Missouri was still legal. So they, they went down to a little island called Bloody Island in the Mississippi River on the uh, Missouri side. And they were they were kind of came very close to fighting this duel. I mean, they were on the dueling grounds. And then their their friends who were serving as seconds managed to patch things up and, and call it off. And Lincoln was embarrassed about it the rest of his life. He did not like to talk about it. And uh, after that, he stopped writing uh, nasty letters. Anonymously. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> that is a good one. That's a uh, that. And by the way, as you say that, John, again, John Cribbs, the author uh why isn't this a why isn't this why isn't old Abe a movie? Why why isn't the rail splitter a movie? Anybody looking at it? That's a, such a that's such an awesome scene you just described. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great uh, it's a great opportunity, and I'm, I'm I hopefully you know once this book is out, I'm, I'm hoping uh, that uh, we can interest somebody in uh, either or or maybe a limited uh, you know one of these yeah. limited series. We used to call yeah, them yeah, mini yeah. series. Yeah, now, yeah, that's I right. I call that's, them limited series. Yeah, yeah. But you could really take him uh, through his. Uh, through his life. Well, that's right. That's that's right. It's, it's probably impossible. It's more and more impossible unless you're like a superhero, a Marvel to get a movie anyway. But <laughs> I, I, you could imagine like a, a, one of these streaming networks that says, I will do eight parts and you could have Lincoln dueling, you know, with broadswords or yeah. close to it that that yeah. I, can, I can see it already. Well, well, listen, uh, very I hope you're getting plenty of uh, attention to the book Old Abe uh, again, available Republic book publishers. Everybody get it there. John Cribb is the author. Uh, I'm sure you this time of year is um, sort of exciting and interesting. So uh, thanks for taking the time to, to talk with us about Abe Lincoln and, uh, and his birthday and everything else. Thanks so much, Ed. I really appreciate it. All right, John Cribb, everybody. Uh, we, I'll make sure to put up on social media. I think I got a couple previous interviews with John about his about that book too. I'll try to find them and put them all up for uh, the uh, the uh, this time of the year and the, the President's Day, I guess, as they say. And we'll we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Time to catch up with our old friend, Adam Anjevsky. And Adam is, of course, the founder and the head of uh, the important organization, Open the Books. Go to OpenTheBooks.com. That's the best way you get there. If you're like me, you'll get drawn in uh, to 
all different kinds of stuff on that website. And but one of the things I want to talk to Adam about, because it's important, I think, for people to hear about his organization. It's a 501c3 organization. They do all kinds of research and they put out their annual report, which is also available on their website. I'll put it up on social media. And it's the 2021 annual report. When you look at it, you'll see all the different things uh, uh, that he is doing, what they're doing to promote transparency. It's very impressive. Again, Adam Manjewski is the CEO and the founder uh, of the organization. Welcome, Adam. How are you? Well, it's great to be on the program, Ed. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, First, a broad question. You've been doing this a while and you've been watching politics policy for even longer. Um, Where are we on the trend uh, of transparency? Sometimes it feels like we're in a place where everybody agrees. Let's make it more transparent. And we're in a movement. It feels great. Other times it feels like you find it sort of ebbs and flows. Where are I, where are we in the long arc of transparency? Cause that's what this is really about is making government transparent, even as it's grown every darn year, it seems. Yeah. And it's a great question. And so I'm going to do my best to answer it. I think we have two trends going on in real time and both cannot sustain for a long time. One trend is going to win. Here's the first one. There's a war on transparency at every level of government, federal, state, and local. And the second trend is grassroots, we the people, where you see this in Virginia, you see this across the country in the K through 12 school districts. Parents want to have transparency in their, in their schools, in their local units of government. And so those are the two trends in play. We are at openthebooks.com. We're on both of those. We're training parents in their school districts across the country to be able to give oversight, to hold accountable school boards and school officials for their tax and spend decisions. And then also, you know, we're we're on some of the most important transparency litigation in the country. We sued California for their state checkbook, and we can talk about that. And we we also have existing litigation to break open 1,200 pages of Dr. Anthony Fauci's financial documents over at the National Institutes of Health. So we're represented by Judicial Watch on that case. In California, we were represented by Cause of Action on the California checkbook case. Uh, we're talking again, Adam Anjewski and uh, Open the Books. Uh, go over to open, open the books.com, the website. Uh, Adam, if you got on a spot, right, you got on the spot and, and you know, you and I have been friends for a long time, so I can't put you on the spot too much. But somebody said to you, OK, you got a really cool uh, report, you know, your annual report. It's uh, it's 36 pages. Well, what's the highlight? Give me the give me the top two highlights of what what you'd say uh, the, the, your annual report shows for Open the Books. So I'd say, you know, our top two findings out of many, Ed, we had, we had many really good stuff. We followed the national news cycle in real time with hard data. So there's a lot of great findings and reports that we did last year. However, here's the top two. Number one, we quantified the staggering cost of U.S. military gear left behind in Afghanistan. And it came with a, a cost. The Biden administration ripped down the State Department audits that our report was premised on. So he issued guidance to the State Department to take those audits down immediately. Uh, But nevertheless, we're a watchdog organization from Illinois. We had secured them to our hard drive. We reposted those audit reports on our own website with our own branding. And even the Washington Post, their fact checkers, when when they fact check the politicians on their statements, were linking to our site. We're the only place on the Internet where those reports existed was at OpenTheBooks.com. And so we, you know, we found eight, up to $83 billion over a 20-year period spent on military gear and training 
for the Afghan National Army and the Afghan National Security Forces. So that's number one. That was a big international and national story, and we led on those numbers. Okay, and then the second one is, you know, we identified in January of 2021 the most highly compensated federal bureaucrat. And of course, that turned out to be Dr. (laughs) Anthony Fauci. Right, right. So that has been a huge battle all year, and it culminated just a couple of weeks ago where everyone was treated to U.S. Senator Roger Marshall in the well of the Senate with Fauci under oath, citing Forbes, my column, our findings at openthebooks.com to hold Fauci accountable for the lack of transparency on his financial disclosures. He then forced open those disclosures. I covered that, those disclosures and, and what was in there in my column at Forbes. Then the National Institutes of Health put pressure on Forbes. I was barred from writing anymore on Fauci and my column was terminated. Wow. I didn't hear any of that. I'm sorry to admit. Uh, 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 How long have you done the column there? For eight years. So I was a policy contributor for eight years. I got a, a title upgrade four years ago to senior policy contributor. I put 206 pieces up over that nearly eight year period. I estimate I wrote a quarter million words of investigation for the platform, nearly 17 million views. But I guess there's certain oversight that Forbes didn't want on their platform. And when the National Institutes of Health put six of their top P off, P, PR officers on an email chain with myself and the top guy at Forbes, the top guy, um, Forbes wow. quickly folded and my column was terminated. Wow. It's um, wow. Uh, I, I didn't hear that. I, I, I feel like it didn't um, get as much attention as as uh, as m- maybe it should be because uh, I, I appreciate your platform. Ed. Yeah. And we uh, we first launched this Monday night on Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of media since, but your platform here is is another avenue and opportunity for us to get the word out that unelected bureaucrats like Dr. Anthony Fauci are tipping the scales and they have commandeered the organs of state power and authority. There are 86 public affairs officers over at NIH. And what do they do? Because yeah. Fauci doing all the media, of course, he did 400 media events in the first 18 months of the pandemic. But now we know what they're doing. Their top executives are pressuring mainstream American news organizations. And those organizations, unfortunately, are folding. And that's empowering these bureaucrats to do it again. Uh, we're talking with Adam Anjevsky, and you should go to OpenTheBooks.com uh, and support his work there. The, the, it's important. Um, you know, Adam, on this question, so again, the great thing about you, we're talking about Adam Anjevsky, the founder and CEO of Open the Books. You're a lot like Phyllis Schlafly. You're, you're going to like that. But I mean, you're a lot I like, do. you know, in the, in, I, the sense that, yeah, in the sense that nobody, you don't, you don't owe anybody anything. In other words, you, you're not, you're not, um, you know, you're not at a university. I mean, maybe there's a couple of universities you could be at. You're not nobody. So you can actually, and that's one of the things I was going to say, your Forbes columns, they excoriate everybody they, they, they there's not, <laughs> there's true. plenty of Republicans that are like, Oh shoot. I didn't, I know open the books was going to find my spending. It's not like you that's just great. go after California. So nobody, nobody owns you. And that which should have been the strength of the Forbes column. But I, I you know, Adam, here's my, here's my question. 
And some of your team, I know, has international experience. You know, Matthew is uh, is a very savvy guy. But uh, over in the in the Eastern Bloc, before the communist communism fell, uh, there was a real sense of how uh, censorship was done by self censorship. You just you right. just came to realize it was better to be self censoring yourself because it's not worth the trouble. I mean, you got a family, you you know, you do, you right. got a lot, and and so and the this it's not the state, the government doesn't have to say, um, go ahead and shut him down. Down, right. They can rely on self-censorship. And here's my next question. We both feel that my listeners hear it a lot from me. How do you think the self-censorship of what happens? Because it, it doesn't slow you down. It doesn't make you do what I'm about to say. But a lot of people take the, the, the path of inaction because the best thing to do is just sit tight. You don't have to feel bad because you're sitting tight. You're still a believer. You still may say the right things, but you're not acting. And my example there is, Adam, is I think you were one of the guys I've heard you speak. I've heard you lead uh, kind of a true blue American rah-rah guy. The Canadian truckers had to show us the way. So we're in a a bind here where we, the people, may feel frozen by the uh, air being all self-censorship. What do you think? No, I think you're spot on. And this is exactly what's going on. I mean... Look, uh, this is why this story was so important. Uh, you know, naturally, Forbes was a good home and yeah. a key platform for right. our findings at OpenTheBooks.com for a long period of time. And they treated me very well. And the editors, you know, the, I think as a journalist, you have to be humble. There's no good writing. There's only good editing. And whatever the editors made a suggestion, it always made my column better. And I, they can't argue that I didn't do good work because they left my author archive live. Every wow. single piece, There's not a single <laughs> wow. piece that's ever been taken down. Wow. Right? Yeah. But the pushback was on the Fauci coverage. And, and, and when the national institutes of health you know, softly, you know, it was, a, it was a corrections email with no substantial corrections. So you don't, you don't copy the top guy at Forbes on that. It's laughable. Right. It was, it was a silent measure expressing displeasure with Forbes for including this on the platform. And it's actually pretty incredible. Um, You know, I was admonished by my editors for writing three pieces on Fauci in three weeks. Well, here's the deal. Every single one of those pieces was national news. And because of those pieces, uh, you know, Fauci had his code red moment. And my Forbes editors knew that there's 1,200 pages still subject of his disclosures on our federal lawsuit. And rather than putting the power of the Forbes platform behind going after and trying to break open Fauci's 1,200 pages of financial disclosures, they actually went after my column instead. Uh, we're talking with Adam Anjevsky. Um, and Adam, I hate to do this to you because I know, but I know you love to write. You need to write this up. The, 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 you need to write up maybe a blog post or something maybe that for, in your own voice about uh, what happened. Because uh, again, nobody thinks of Adam Anjevsky and again, founder and CEO of, of um, openthebooks.com um, as a kind of, wild character you're not you know you're a measured guy you're in some you know you're you're not like um you, you don't take gratuitous punches you just lay things out so i think your voice on this would explain what happened uh but um first of all who owns forbes is it is it owned by some conglomerate do you know so you know there's a lot online about who owns forbes now it's not owned by by the forbes family or steve forbes any longer although yeah. he's the titular chairman of, uh, uh-huh. of forbes i believe so people will have to explore that on their own. Okay. I, I can only express first person, you know, how, how things went down with me when mm-hmm. I was, 
was the subject matter expert and became the subject matter expert over the last 13 months on Dr. Anthony Fauci's finances. When I wrote about that, I can only describe my story. Others have to connect all the other dots in play. I have no doubt there's probably other dots in play. It's just not my swim lane. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Uh, I'm going to leave you there. I know, I know you've got a lot of things going on. First of all, c- encourage you people, look at the substance of openthebooks.com, their annual report and see what's going on. Then take a look at uh, this, this, um, um, you know, terrible story. And I think it's important too. So thanks for what you're doing, Adam. And, and I appreciate it. And, and keep, um, keep us informed on all the important work and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep uh, praying for you and encouraging you in your great work. Thank you, Ed. Thank you very much. Folks can, See our latest original reporting just right on our own website. We're going to break 500 investigations this year at OpenTheBooks.com. All right. Very good. Adam Andrzejewski, everybody. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Again, it's OpenTheBooks.com. And I'll put over on social media some of the stories that uh, describe what's happened. We'll we'll get people uh, continue to understand. Okay. We'll take a break. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The psychology of money is an amazing thing. Have you ever noticed how much easier it is to spend big when you're using someone else's pocketbook? If a stranger asked you to go to the grocery store shopping and gave you a credit card with no limit, you'd probably shop differently than if you were using your own money. You might go for the name brands rather than the generic brands. You might not inspect the produce quite as closely for blemishes. You might even splurge on a few extra items. Behavioral study after behavioral study has concluded that people are more diligent with their own money than they are with the money of other people. This is especially true when it comes to government spending. The average taxpayer, and certainly the average politician, is much more careless with money coming from the government treasury. Giant omnibus bills cost trillions of dollars, but they hardly make us bat an eye. These same bills are hundreds of pages long, yet we all know hardly any congressman will read them before they cast a vote. You can bet that they would be sure to read them if their own money was on the line. Another interesting aspect of the psychology of money in government is the problem of depth perception. When the money spent in these bills becomes so large, our human ability to grasp the amount is diminished. The Congressional Budget Office released a study on the Democrats' so-called Build Back Better Act on December 13th of last year. At that time, the Budget Office concluded that the bill cost close to nearly $5 trillion. Reminding you that it's trillion with a T doesn't begin to describe how big that number is. $5 trillion written out would have 12 zeros on the end. $5 trillion is enough to give a paid-for $200,000 home to 25 million families, or one out of every five families in America. The sheer insanity of a $5 trillion piece of legislation might be difficult to grasp, but remember that they're spending your money and your grandchildren's money, too. We need to demand fiscal responsibility from our leaders, because the numbers are too big to ignore. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Liberal politicians cannot be allowed to manipulate tax laws regarding Social Security, charitable donations, retirement accounts, homeownership, and the definition of family. Low taxes and smaller government are core values at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you, at phyllisschlafly.com. 
And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin wrapping things up on this uh, President's Day weekend celebration, I guess you can say. Uh, certainly that interview with uh, my friend John Cribb about Old Abe, the book, was good. But I want to I finish by giving a tribute to George Washington. If there is one American president that should be celebrated standalone, it's George Washington. And the reasons are many. Um, perseverance in the face of military failure. You know, he was an extraordinary leader in that sense. Uh, his uh, sensibility of balancing uh, business. You know, he was kind of entrepreneurial. He started a canal company and he was looking to expand west. He was, of course, a surveyor early in his life. And so he had a big interest in real estate and land going out west. I'm just a fascinating man. But... And, and he was at the center of some of the great moments of the uh, formation of the Republic and the Constitution and all. But the real gift that he gave was he walked away from power. And uh, the famous, you know, after serving for two terms as president, he could have been elected over and over again, and he decided to walk away. And certainly after he walked away, in came, you know, fractious political battling and all. But he knew if he didn't walk away, I think he knew he would be um, he would have been king. And he didn't want that. He didn't think that was the right thing to do. It's an extraordinary moment in, in human history and his life and his background and his education and his ups and downs in his career and also his personal life, pretty extraordinary. And so I, I have, um, as much as I, and I talked to John Cribb about this, if you heard that interview, as much as I admire the, um, the devotion and the interest in, in, in Lincoln, I feel like the Civil War is a focus of much of the, uh, of the modern scholarship, in part because they want to talk about race. And, and the left wants to talk about race and wants to talk about the failures and all that. Uh, whereas if you go back, you look at uh, the founding and the revolutionary era, and you have something really, uh, to me, more spectacular, uh, more um, providential. Um, I think what Lincoln, Lincoln was necessary, and uh, but I think Washington was extraordinary in a way that is transcendent. So anyway, I hope you have a great, uh, have had a great President's Day weekend and, and celebrate and think about these great men. And uh, we'll be back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.